Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me. It's hard to believe, but this is our second to last episode. So today's episode is episode 89, and next week's episode, episode 90, will be our last episode of Catholic Light's Catechism uh, discussion, reading and discussion, prayerful meditation, silly life anecdotes. So who knows what God has in store for uh, the Catholic Light podcast down the road, but we'll end um, our reading and discussion of the catechism on next week's episode. And then um, I'm not the most active Instagrammer or social media user, um, but I'll continue to post here and there. And then uh, again, we'll see, you know, what I've been praying over the last few months, like, Jesus, do you want something else? Um, Want me to do something else with Catholic Light? And um, I'm getting the sense that we'll end our end our uh, journey here at the end of the catechism and then again see what what the holy spirit has in store so thanks for for those of you who have been with me since day one thank you for uh, joining me on this journey and for those of you who have recently joined those of you who kind of pop in and out depending on the episode or depending on the attractiveness of the episode title thanks for joining us there as well and uh, my my friend, my best friend Teresa, recently asked, "Have you read the Catechism to us, cover to cover?" And by the end of next week's episode, the answer is yes. I will have read to you the Catechism cover to cover. So um, again, I know some of you listened to the second half of the episode where we read through the Catechism. Some of you uh, just join us for the commentary. And uh, so thanks for whatever portion of this journey you have traversed. Thanks for for joining me, for joining us, and God bless you. May this, uh, I just pray, I pray each week as I, you know, publish the episode, Lord, uh, through the intercession of St. Irenaeus, somewhere along the way, I took him as my, um, as our intercessor for this this journey. Uh, St. Irenaeus, please ask Jesus to make this fruitful for, for all involved. May this be an opportunity for all of us to draw closer to Jesus through you, St. Irenaeus, Our Lady, St. Joseph, and all the angels and saints. So I will continue. I think I mentioned on previous episodes that when I started teaching uh, high school students in 2004, I started praying every day, Lord, I pray for all of my students, past, present, and future, especially those who are struggling most today. So I will continue to pray for you every day, God willing, every day of my life, and um, even after that, God willing. Um, And please pray for me and my family as we continue to try to live these, these human lives well and reach their fulfillment that God has in store for each and every one of us. All right, so on today's episode, we will talk about uh, the first four petitions of the Lord's Prayer. So on last week's episode, we talked about the the first kind of two dimensions of the Lord's Prayer. We talked about the Our Father, or what it means uh, that God is Father, or reveals himself to us as Father, and what it means that he has revealed uh, or taught us to pray our Father, so not my Father, but our Father. And then we talked about how um, that portion of the Our Father, who art in heaven, uh, draws our attention to the fact that that God is transcendent. So we we often imagine heaven as being this this faraway land, so beautiful and majestic. Um, so it is true that God is majestic; He's above and beyond. He's transcendent, above and beyond all that we are and all that we know. And yet. Um, he, he takes up residence in each of our hearts and each of our lives and wants to be, you know, intimately close with us. And so he teaches us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. We'll then look today at what are referred to as the first four petitions. So if we go back on the, the second half of today's episode, we read paragraphs 2803 through 2837. Um, on last week's episode, we covered under paragraph 2759 um, this kind of read out of why we follow Matthew's as opposed to Luke's version of the Our Father and how the church in her liturgical tradition has 
has kind of taken up Matthew's version of the Our Father. So 2759 said last week, Jesus was praying at a certain place, and when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples, so as John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. In response to this request, the Lord entrusts to to his disciples and to his church the fundamental Christian prayer. St. Luke presents a brief text of five petitions. And if we look at the footnote, we see that that's uh, referenced in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 2 through 4, while St. Matthew gives a more developed version of seven petitions. Again, if we look at the footnote, that references Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. The liturgical tradition of the church has retained St. Matthew's text. And then if you're looking at a physical catechism, you'll see in this nice, clear box, the Our Father laid out. So the first line is Our Father who art in heaven, which we discussed last week. And then there are seven petitions outlined in the Our Father um, and recounted for us in St. Matthew's Gospel. So petition number one, hallowed be thy name. Petition number two, thy kingdom come. Petition number three, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Petition number four, give us this day our daily bread. So we'll cover those four petitions today. And then on next week's episode, we'll finish with the last three petitions. So petition number five, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Petition six, and lead us not into temptation. And then petition seven, but deliver us from evil. So the first three out of four petitions, which we'll cover today, are as the catechism says, theologal or theo, God, directed or kind of in the movement towards God. And then the last four are us directed or looking to God, we ask him then to, to bless us or move back in our direction. So the, f- the first three uh, point to God, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the last four um, ask God to to come back to us or give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, etc. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we move into paragraph 2803, first paragraph that we'll cover uh, today. And this is Article 3, the seven petitions. So 2803 says, after we have placed ourselves in the presence of God. So again, last week we prayed our Father, and discussed our Father who art in heaven. So we've placed ourselves in the presence of God, God who has revealed himself as Father and invites us to pray not only on our behalf, but on behalf of all, um, because God has created all of us to, God willing, one day be in heaven with him. And so we pray that all may recognize God as Father. After we've placed ourselves in the presence of God, our Father, to adore and to love and to bless him, the spirit of adoption stirs up in our hearts seven petitions or seven blessings. So as we just read, um, one of God's disciples, one of Jesus's disciples says, teach us to pray. So after looking to the Father, after God has revealed himself to us, the spirit stirs up in us this desire to pray to him. 2804 goes on to say, the first series of petitions carries us toward him for his own sake, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. It is characteristic of love to think first of the one whom we love. In none of the three petitions do we mention ourselves. The burning desire, even anguish of the beloved son for his father's glory seizes us. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. These three supplications were already answered in the saving sacrifice of Christ, but they are henceforth directed in hope toward their final toward their final fulfillment, for God is not yet all in all. So all of these prayers have already been answered in the person of Jesus Christ, who out of love for us came to reveal himself reveal God to us more fully, and then to suffer and die for us to open the gates of heaven so we could be with him him forever. But when it says, uh, the catechism says, uh, henceforth they are directed in hope toward their final fulfillment, for God is not yet all in all. So this has been accomplished, but it's not yet manifest in the lives of all. And so we pray, every time we pray for, pray the Our Father, we pray that the work of Christ and the, the fruits of that work may be manifest, may be lived out, may be realized um, in every person who ever lived is living and ever will live, that that all may be saved, all may may come to realize uh, the fulfillment of their humanity, of our humanity, which is happiness in 
this life and the next. 2806 says, by the, th- the three first petitions, we are strengthened in faith, filled with hope, and set aflame by charity. So the first petition, hallowed be thy name. We are strengthened in faith. Faith is the virtue which believes um, or helps us to believe that which we do not yet see. So we, we pray, hallowed be thy name. Um, God, you are holy. Help us to, to see and understand and realize and believe that all the more. As, as much as it is true, help us to, to realize that in our own hearts and minds. So first three petitions, we are strengthened in faith, filled with hope. So thy, thy kingdom come, we pray, we hope, um, we trust that, that the kingdom of God may be, again, realized not just in heaven, but on earth for all. And we're set aflame by charity. Thy will be done. So what is God's will? That all may be saved, that all may know the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so we set aflame by charity, pray for that, um, that, that all may realize that love. We then turn specifically to the first intention or first petition, hallowed be thy name. 2807 says, the term to hallow is to be understood here not primarily in its causative sense, only God hallows or makes holy. So when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're not causing it to happen. It already is. But above all, in an evaluative sense, to recognize as holy, to treat in a holy way. So when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're not making God's name more holy, um, but we're recognizing it as holy and praying that that holiness uh, is recognized by all and um, (laughs) trickles down into our own lives and into the lives of all, that we too may be holy as the Lord is holy. 2808 says, in the decisive moments of his economy, God reveals his name, but he does so by accomplishing his work. This work then is realized for us and in us only if his name is hallowed by us and in us. So again, when when Christ, uh, the second person, the Trinity, God himself comes to earth, more fully reveals who God is to all of humanity. He then suffers and dies to save us, um, resurrects and ascends to heaven. Uh, the fullness of salvation is accomplished. Okay, so so nothing more, as Scripture tells us, can be added to that saving work of Jesus Christ, second person, the Trinity, God Himself. But we pray that it may be God may be all in all that we may enter in, participate in that saving work so that it may be fully realized in us and in the lives of all. We enter into that saving work in and through our baptisms and then by proclaiming the good news, the gospel. So paragraph 2813 says, In the waters of baptism we have been washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Our Father calls us to holiness in the whole of our life. And since he is the source of our life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and sanctification, both his glory and our life depend on the hallowing of his name in us and by us. Such is the urgency of our first petition. So I think this is another example of where our faith um, can get kind of muddied uh, in Catholics understanding and then in the understanding of the world that when we pray hallowed be thy name or God teaches us to pray hallowed be thy name he's like this again like egotistical man on top of a mountain saying like you know keep my name hallow or hallowed pray hallowed be thy name as though he needs something but it's really he teaches us to pray this so that we in our humanity can realize the truth, the reality, that God is holy, and we can participate in that holiness. There's this beautiful quote then by St. Cyprian. He says, By whom is God hallowed, since he is the one who hallows? But since he said, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, we seek and ask that we who were sanctified in baptism may persevere in what we have begun to be. And we ask this daily, for we need sanctification daily so that we who fail daily may cleanse away our sins by being sanctified continually. We pray that the sanctification may remain in us. And then St. Peter Chrysologus goes on to say, but we ask that this name of God should be hallowed in us through our actions. For God's name is blessed when we live well, but is blasphemed when we live wickedly. 
So our, our baptisms begin the sanctifying, saving work in us. And then as we continue to, by the grace of God, strive to live good and holy lives, that sanctification, that purification uh, touches more and more of our lives and God willing through our lives, the lives of others. All right, second petition, thy kingdom come. Paragraph 2818 says, in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come refers primarily to the final coming of the reign of God through Christ's return. But far from distracting the church from her mission in this present world, this desire commits her to it all the more strongly. Since Pentecost, the coming of that reign is the work of the spirit of the Lord who completes his work on earth and brings us the fullness of grace. So when we pray thy kingdom come, we're thinking of that final event where Christ comes a second and final time. Um, But in the meantime, we should be, can be, by the grace of God, working to... um, help all come to know the Lord and to, again, enter into that sanctification, uh, enter into and realize the fruits of that work that was completed once for all by Christ. Paragraph 2820 goes on to say, man's vocation to eternal life does not suppress, but actually reinforces his duty to put into action in this world the energies and means received from the creator to serve justice and peace. So as we await, as we pray for that second and final coming of the Lord, um, that doesn't mean we kick back and just like, ah, he's coming, he'll fix it. Let's just, you know, chill and maybe sit on our holiness laurels until he comes back. No, it's it, it stirs up in us this urgency to kind of like gather as many people as we can um, to enter into this, to participate in this, to have this this truth, this goodness, this beauty realized in, um, in all lives. Lately, as I pray for family and friends and different intentions that, that people entrust to me, I... Um, when I close my eyes to pray, I would say I'm a pretty visual person. And so when I pray, I'm kind of trying to imagine like what's going on or what God might be doing or what I'm trying to do. And so lately, as I pray for people, I picture this this kind of image came to me the other day where it's like, okay, we're in this kind of like tsunami relief-esque scene where, um, you know, we're, we're kind of like mid-calf in water post uh destruction and we're just like just like picking up pieces picking up people and then handing them handing them handing them to the blessed mother to the angels and saints who then hand them hand them on to Jesus to God the father God the son God the holy spirit to be um you know healed and cleansed and saved and ultimately you know made into the human beings that God created each of us to be. And so I th- I think it comes from my like feelings of inadequacy as as people are like, "Hey, could you pray for this?" or like, "Hey, what do you think I should do about this?" And like, "I don't know, but I'm just going to give you to Mary and give you to St. Peter and give you to St. Irenaeus and they'll give you to Jesus and Jesus knows. Like he'll know what to do with this situation and with you because I love you, but he loves you way more than I could possibly love you and and he he's got it. He's got it." So as I pray for Again, family and friends and different intentions. I just kind of picture myself like mid-calf in water. The world's just a wreck and I think has always been a wreck and will continue to be a wreck until God comes for the second and final time. And so what can I do? I can just just hand you off to the angels and saints and who will hand you off to God. And God, in the process, please scoop me up too and you know, wash the, the dirt and the mud out of my hair and pick the like debris out of my clothes and, and ah, give me the grace make me into the woman you created me to be. And so each time we pray in the Our Father, thy kingdom come, we're praying, like, ultimately, may your kingdom, as it is in heaven, uh, perfect and beautiful and unified and filled with communio, Lord, bring that, realize that more and more on earth and in the lives of each and every human being. And, And as we await that perfection, the fullness of the kingdom of God, Um, Lord, give us the grace to just get people there and bring that truth to people and to realize it in our own lives. The third and final petition that begins with thy, then, is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paragraph 2822 says, Our Father desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He is forbearing toward you, not wishing that any should perish. His commandment is that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 
This commandment summarizes all the others and expresses his entire will. So we often pray, I often pray, um, God, like, what's your will here? Or God, may your will be done in my life. And the catechism says, like, what's the will of God? But that all may be saved. And that in the process or as a means of achieving that, um, help us love one another as you have loved each of us. So like so many things in our faith, it's, it's simple, pretty straightforward, but it's not easy to live, you know, day by day by day with our fellow sinful human beings and living in the skin of our own sinful selves. And so we remember the catechism reminds us, he is forbearing toward you, not wishing that any should perish. So we pray that, that just as God loves us, he gives us the grace to love others, which is a tall order, but made possible by God and by his grace. So with God, nothing is impossible. Paragraph 2825 says, we are radically incapable of this. So 2825 begins with, although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. How much more reason have we sinful creatures to learn obedience? We who in him have become children of adoption. We ask our father to unite our will to his sons in order to fulfill his will, his plan of salvation for the life of the world. We are radically incapable of this. So on our own steam, we cannot do this. But united with Jesus and with the power of his Holy Spirit, we can surrender our will to him and decide to choose what his son has always chosen, to do what is pleasing to the Father. Over the uh, Christmas break, the winter holidays, um, I was talking with a friend about the providence of God how God provides at every turn, and how that should inspire generosity in us. And this friend was saying, uh, we often are not as generous as we could be because we don't think we have the, again, the steam to do it or the resources or the bandwidth to do it. But he said, if we can step out in faith and be generous, then we will see more and more that that God is provident, providential. He provides at every turn and much more than we can see um, or we can imagine. And it's often only that we can begin to imagine that, begin to see it when we step out in faith. So God, give us the grace to be generous because you are generous. And as we step out in faith, as we step out in our generosity, um, may we come to see just how, how providential you are, that the divine providence always has more and more and more to give, and therefore we have more and more and more to give when we rely on you, Lord. And I think after, uh, after I was you know, chatting with this friend and I continued and still continue to think about it, um, I think for me personally, the reason why I'm not generous is I struggle with control. And so I think like, oh, okay, if I do this and I, you know, drum up that and I prepare this, like then th- this is what I have the bandwidth to do. This is what I can provide. Um, but this friend really challenged me uh, to think about and try to practice greater generosity because God is infinitely generous and really does provide if we can relinquish that control a little bit and allow him to provide in in our lives. So again, we are radically incapable of this, but united with Jesus and with the power of his spirit, we can surrender our will to him and decide to choose what his son has always chosen, to do what is pleasing to the Father. Later we read from St. John Chrysostom, for he did not say, thy will be done in me or in us, but on earth, the whole earth, so that error may be banished from it, Truth take root in it, all vice be destroyed on on it, virtue flourish on it, and earth no longer differ from heaven. 2826 says, by prayer we can discern what is the will of God and obtain the endurance to do it. Jesus teaches us that one enters the kingdom of heaven not by speaking words, but by doing the will of my Father in heaven. And so as we pray this week, um, God, what's your will for me? Give me the grace to, to do your will. Or we pray thee, our Father, thy will be done. We can recall these words from the the catechism that our Father desires all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. And so, Lord, give us the grace to desire that as well, that all may be saved, and give us the grace to help others to know you um, so that all may be saved. 
All right, the last petition we'll cover today is give us this day our daily bread. So we move into the first of those last four petitions, which now addresses us. 2828 says, give us. The trust of children who look to their father for everything is beautiful. He makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He gives to all the living their food in due season. Jesus teaches us this this petition because it glorifies our Father by acknowledging how good he is beyond all goodness. Again, that divine providence is just above and beyond uh, what what we can comprehend. And if we can respond to that grace um, to be generous, to step forward step by step, to give of ourselves, give of our lives, then we it's not that we like call down that divine providence even more, but we I think we see like God is ready and waiting to just give us and others more and more and more. 2830 says, Our bread, the Father who gives us life, cannot but give us the nourishment life requires, all appropriate goods and blessings, both material and spiritual. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus insists on the filial trust that cooperates with our Father's providence. He is not inviting us to idleness, so not to, God doesn't want us to just kick back and say like, ah, you're, uh, you're provident, you're providential. Do your thing, God. But wants to relieve us from nagging worry and preoccupation. Such is the filial surrender of the children of God. So God invites us with our human intellects and wills to participate in this salvation, to say yes, to respond to the grace um, so that his truth, beauty, and goodness may be evident, may reign in our lives and then in the lives of others. Um, and he could have us just kick back and watch it all unfold. Um, but there's something in it for us when we participate, when we, quote unquote, help in the work. Again, when Christ suffered and died, he, he did the work. Um, but we can participate in it in that we can say yes for our own lives, for that grace to, to come into our own lives. But then we can, by proclaiming the truth and by living the truth in our lives, help bring that into the lives of others, that, that once and for all saving work. We can um, kind of almost help other people enjoy it. So I'm thinking right now of um, my kids' preschool. So uh, Sophia, Declan, and now Peter have all attended the same just precious preschool. They go three days a week for a couple hours and um, you know, do like really, really great lessons. It's a Christian preschool. Um, they do, they learn about Jesus. They learn their colors, their letters, their numbers. Um, and then they do, you know, arts and crafts and they do these little performances around uh, Halloween and then Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I think, um, you know, in terms of our discussion today, it's as though, you know, God Jesus Christ accomplished this through his passion, death, and resurrection, accomplished um, what is needed for our sanctification once and for all. <clears throat> In an analogous way, the God's Love Preschool uh, came up with these lesson plans, these activities, uh, these events, kind of once and for all. And now I've seen them come into the lives of Sophia and then Declan and now Peter. They're each enjoying um, these these wonderful little projects are participating in these great activities. And so, again, in an analogous way, when we pray uh, each of these petitions of the Our Father, it's like we're, we're first looking to God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, uh, hallowed be thy name. And then we're calling down, we're, we're trying to pull down into the lives of each and every person, Sophia and Declan and Peter, um, and every person we know, uh, this goodness, this truth, this beauty, and ultimately this this sanctification and salvation accomplished once and for all by Christ. We're, we're calling it down from heaven, trying to, again, I'm, I'm thinking in visual images, like grab it down from heaven and place it in the lives of, of each and every human being so that, that all can enjoy it. And then again, I like how the catechism says, he's not inviting us to idleness, but wants to relieve us from nagging worry and preoccupation. This conjures up for me the, the power. Um, excuse me, the story of Martha and Mary, where oftentimes people will say like, "Oh, are you a Martha or are you a Mary?" As though like Martha is the work, 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 get it done kind of personality, and then Mary is the like sit at the feet of Jesus and just soak it up uh, kind of personality. Um, but what's really key in that passage is Jesus scolds Martha not for doing a bunch of things, but for doing them anxiously. So he says, 
you are anxious about many things. Like there's kind of this imagery of like fretting and hand wringing as though like it won't all get done. Jesus is like, hey, I'm here. Okay, it's, it's, you're doing it. That's great. But also recognize my presence in your life. I think too of that Philippians passage, Philippians chapter four, where St. Paul says to the Philippians, have no anxiety about anything, but through prayer and petition, you know, submit your requests to God and then think on these things that are lovely and true and good. So God's not calling us to idleness. Like he's not saying to Martha, don't do anything. Um, St. Paul is not saying to the Philippians, like, sit on your tushies and don't do anything. Um, They're each saying, don't be anxious about these things. Like, do the work that you're called to do, but then simultaneously trust that God loves you. He wants you to succeed, not, you know, in terms of worldly success, but he wants you to, um, like, receive what you need to receive. And he's the God to do it or to help you accomplish that because he has all of creation at his fingertips. He's an infinite God who is divinely provident. And then we'll conclude our discussion of this fourth petition of the Our Father um, by looking at paragraph 2835, which speaks to, uh, as human beings, we are called to uh, help others receive the the physical bread that they actually need. Um, So we look to the poor, the starving, the hungry, the homeless, and we strive to um, help provide for their needs. But then paragraph 2835 talks about the the spiritual hunger that we all have, no matter how rich or how poor we are. And um, to point others, to help others come to, to receive him who alone can satisfy. So 2835 says, this petition with the responsibility it involves also applies to another hunger from which men are perishing. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is, by the word he speaks and the spirit he breathes forth. Christians must make every effort to proclaim the good news to the poor. There is a famine on earth, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. For this reason, the specifically Christian sense of this fourth petition concerns the bread of life, the word of God accepted in faith, and the body of Christ received in the Eucharist. So just like we prayed uh, that third petition, thy kingdom come, and the catechism discusses that that looks to the the second coming, the final coming of God, but also to bringing that reign, that kingdom on earth now. Um, When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're called to help nourish and feed others um, both physically and spiritually, both you know, in the long run, that they may come to know our Lord and be fed actually, physically, but then also spiritually through his word and through the Eucharist. So come, Lord Jesus, uh, give us the grace to pray this, this prayer that you taught your disciples, that you teach each, each of us. Please help us to pray this well, to come to understand these petitions and really unite our hearts to them, lift up these petitions in our hearts, our minds, our lives, Um, and allow you to provide for the needs of all um, now and forever. We offer this up in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll take a brief break, and then we'll return on the second half of the episode to read paragraphs 2803 through 2837. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read paragraphs 2803 through 2837 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Article 3, The Seven Petitions. After we have placed ourselves in the presence of God our Father to adore and to love and to bless Him, The spirit of adoption stirs up in our hearts seven petitions, seven blessings. The first three, more theologal, draws toward the glory of the Father. The last four, as ways toward him, commend our our wretchedness to his grace. Deep calls to deep. The first series of petitions carries us toward him for his own sake. Thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. It is characteristic of love to think first of the one whom we love. In none of the three petitions do we mention ourselves. The burning desire, even anguish of the beloved Son for his Father's glory, seizes us. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. These three supplications were already answered in the saving sacrifice of Christ, but they are henceforth directed in hope toward their final fulfillment. For God is not yet all in all. 
The second series of petitions unfolds with the same movement as certain Eucharistic epicleses, as an offering up of our expectations that draws down upon itself the eyes of the Father of mercies. They go up from us and concern us from this very moment in our present world. Give us, forgive us, lead us not, deliver us. The fourth and fifth petitions concern our life as such, to be fed and to be healed of sin. The last two concern our battle for the victory of life, that battle of prayer. By the first three petitions, we are strengthened in faith, filled with hope, and set aflame by charity. Being creatures and still sinners, we have to petition for us, for that us bound by the world and history, which we offer to the boundless love of God. For through the name of his Christ and the reign of his Holy Spirit, our Father accomplishes his plan of salvation for us and for the whole world. Hallowed be thy name. The term to hallow is to be understood here not primarily in its causative sense, only God hallows or makes holy, but above all in an evaluative sense, to recognize as holy, to treat in a holy way. And so, in adoration, this invocation is sometimes understood as praise and thanksgiving. But this petition is here taught to us by Jesus as an optative, a petition, a desire, and an expectation in which God and man are involved. Beginning with this first petition to our Father, we are immersed in the innermost mystery of his Godhead and the drama of the salvation of our humanity. Asking the Father that his name be made holy draws us into his plan of loving kindness for the fullness of time, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, that we might be holy and blameless before him in love. In the decisive moments of his economy, God reveals his name, but he does so by accomplishing his work. This work, then, is realized for us and in us only if his name is hallowed by us and in us. The holiness of God is the inaccessible center of his eternal mystery. What is revealed of it in creation and history, scripture calls glory, the radiance of his majesty. In making man in his image and likeness, God crowned him with glory and honor, but by sinning, man fell short of the glory of God. From that time on, God was to manifest his holiness by revealing and giving his name in order to restore man to the image of his creator. In the promise to Abraham and the oath that accompanied it, God commits himself but without disclosing his name. He begins to reveal it to Moses and makes it known clearly before the eyes of the whole people when he saves them from the Egyptians. He has triumphed gloriously. From the covenant of Sinai, excuse me, of Sinai onward, his, this people is his own, and it is to be a holy or consecrated. The same word is used for both in Hebrew, nation, because the name of God dwells in it. <clears throat> in spite of the holy law that again and again their holy God gives them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And although the Lord shows patience for the sake of his name, the people turn away from the Holy One of Israel and profane his name among the nations. For this reason, the just ones of the old covenant the poor survivors returned from exile, and the prophets burned with passion for the name. Finally, in Jesus, the name of the Holy God is revealed and given to us, in the flesh, as Savior, revealed by what he is, by his word and by his sacrifice. This is the heart of his priestly prayer. Holy Father, for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be consecrated in truth. Because he sanctifies his own name, Jesus reveals to us the name of the Father, at the end of Christ's Passover, the Father gives him the name that is above all names. Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In the waters of baptism, we have been washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Our Father calls us to holiness in the whole of our life, and since he is the source of our life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and sanctification, both his glory and our life depend on the hallowing of his name in us and by us. Such is the urgency of our first petition. By whom is God hallowed, since he is the one who hallows? But since he said, you shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, we seek and ask that we who are sanctified in baptism may persevere in what we have begun to be. And we ask this daily, for we need sanctification daily, so that we who fail daily may cleanse away our sins by being sanctified continually. We pray that this sanctification may remain in us. That's St. Cyprian. The sanctification of his name among the nations depends inseparably on our life and our prayer. We ask God to hallow his name, which by its own holiness saves and makes holy all creation. It is this name that gives salvation to a lost world. But we ask that this name of God should be hallowed in us through our actions. For God's name is blessed when we live well, but is blasphemed when we live wickedly. 
As the apostle says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. We ask then that just as the name of God is holy, so we may obtain his holiness in our souls. That's from St. Peter Chrysologus. When we say, hallowed be thy name, we ask that it should be hallowed in us who are in him, but also in others whom God's grace still awaits, that we may obey the precept that obliges us to pray for everyone, even our enemies. That is why we do not say expressly, hallowed be thy name in us, for we ask that it be so in all men. And that's from Tertullian. This petition embodies all the others. Like the six petitions that follow, it is fulfilled by the prayer of Christ. Prayer to our Father is our prayer if it is prayed in the name of Jesus. In his priestly prayer, Jesus asks, Holy Father, protect in your name those whom you have given me. Thy kingdom come. In the New Testament, the word basileia can be translated by kingship, an abstract noun, kingdom, a concrete noun, or reign, an action noun. The kingdom of God lies ahead of us. It is brought near in the word incarnate. It is proclaimed throughout the whole gospel and it has come in Christ's death and resurrection. The kingdom of God has been coming since the Last Supper, and in the Eucharist it is in our midst. The kingdom will come in glory when Christ hands it over to his Father. It may even be that the kingdom of God means Christ himself, whom we daily desire to come, and whose coming we wish to be manifested quickly to us. For as he is our resurrection, since in him we rise, so he can also be understood as the kingdom of God, for in him we shall reign. This petition is Maranatha, the cry of the Spirit and the Bride, Come, Lord Jesus. Even if it had not been prescribed to pray for the coming of the kingdom, we would willingly have brought forth the speech, eager to embrace our hope. In indignation, the souls of the martyrs under the altar cry out to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? For their retribution is ordained for the end of the world. Indeed, as soon as possible, Lord, may your kingdom come. That comes from Tertullian. In the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come refers primarily to the final coming of the reign of God through Christ's return. But far from distracting the church from her mission in this present world, this desire commits her to it all the more strongly. Since Pentecost, the coming of that reign is the work of the Spirit of the Lord, who completes his work on earth and brings us the fullness of grace. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The end time in which we live is the age of the outpouring of the Spirit. Ever since Pentecost, a decisive battle has been joined between the flesh and the Spirit. Only a pure soul can boldly say, Thy kingdom come. One who has heard Paul say, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, and has purified himself in action, thought and word will say to God, Thy kingdom come. That's St. Cyril of Jerusalem. By a discernment according to the Spirit, Christians have to distinguish between the growth of the reign of God and the progress of the culture and society in which they are involved. This distinction is not a separation. Man's vocation to eternal life does not suppress, but actually reinforces his duty to put into action in this world the energies and means received from the Creator to serve justice and peace. This petition is taken up and granted in the prayer of Jesus, which is present and effective in the Eucharist. It bears its fruit in new life in keeping with the Beatitudes. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He is forbearing toward you, not wishing that any should perish. His commandment is that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This commandment summarizes all the others and expresses his entire will. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. We ask insistently for this loving plan to be fully realized on earth as it is already in heaven. In Christ and through his human will, The will of the Father has been perfectly fulfilled once for all. Jesus said on entering into this world, Lo, I have come to do your will, O God. Only Jesus can say, I always do what is pleasing to him. In the prayer of his agony, he consents totally to this will, not my will, but yours be done. For this reason, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
Although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. How much more reason have we sinful creatures to learn obedience? We who in him have become children of adoption. We ask our Father to unite our will to his sons in order to fulfill his will, his plan of salvation for the life of the world. We are radically incapable of this, but united with Jesus and with the power of his Holy Spirit, we can surrender our will to him and decide to choose what his Son has always chosen, to do what is pleasing to the Father. In committing ourselves to Christ, we can become one spirit with him and thereby accomplish his will in such wise that it will be perfect on earth as it is in heaven. That's from Origen. Consider how Jesus Christ teaches us to be humble by making us see that our virtue does not depend on our work alone, but on grace from on high. He commands each of the faithful who prays to do so universally for the whole world. For he did not say, Thy will be done in me or in us, but on earth, the whole earth, so that error may be banished from it. Truth take root in it. All vice be destroyed on it. Virtue flourish on it, and earth no longer differ from heaven. And that's St. John Chrysostom. By prayer we can discern what is the will of God and obtain the endurance to do it. Jesus teaches us that one enters the kingdom of heaven not by speaking words, but by doing the will of my Father in heaven. If anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Such is the power of the church's prayer in the name of her Lord, above all in the Eucharist. Her prayer is also a communion of intercession with the all-holy Mother of God and all the saints who have been pleasing to the Lord because they willed his will alone. It would not be inconsistent with the truth to understand the words, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to mean, in the church as in our Lord Jesus Christ himself, or in the bride who has been betrothed, just as in the bridegroom who has accomplished, who has accomplished the will of the Father. That's from St. Augustine. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us. The trust of children who look to their father for everything is beautiful. He makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He gives to all the living their food in due season. Jesus teaches us this petition because it glorifies our Father by acknowledging how good he is, beyond all goodness. Give us also expresses the covenant. We are his and he is ours for our sake. But this us also recognizes him as the Father of all men, and we pray to him for them all, in solidarity with their needs and sufferings. Our bread. The Father who gives us life cannot but give us the nourishment life requires. All appropriate goods and blessings, both material and spiritual. <clears throat> in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus insists on the filial trust that cooperates with our Father's providence. He is not inviting us to idleness, but wants to relieve us from nagging worry and preoccupation. Such is the filial surrender of the children of God. To those who seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he has promised to give all else besides. Since everything indeed belongs to God, he who possesses God wants for nothing, if he himself is not found wanting before God. That's St. Cyprian. But the presence of those who hunger because they lack bread opens up another profound meaning of this petition. The drama of hunger in the world calls Christians who pray sincerely to exercise responsibility toward their brethren, both in their personal behavior and in their solidarity with the human family. This petition of the Lord's Prayer cannot be isolated from the parables of the poor man Lazarus and of the Last Judgment. As leaven in the dough, the newness of the kingdom should make the earth rise by the Spirit of Christ. This must be shown by the establishment of justice in personal and social, economic and international relations, without ever forgetting that there are no just structures without people who want to be just. Our bread is the one loaf for the many. In the Beatitudes, poverty is the virtue of sharing. It calls us to communicate and share both material and spiritual goods, not by coercion, but out of love, so that the abundance of some may remedy the needs of others. Pray and work. Pray as if everything depended on God and work as if everything depended on you. Even when we have done our work, the food we receive is still a gift from our Father. It is good to ask him for it and to thank him, as Christian families do when saying grace at meals. This petition, with the responsibility it involves, also applies to hung excuse me, another hunger from which men are perishing. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is, by the word he speaks and the spirit he breathes forth. Christians must make every effort to proclaim the good news to the poor. There is a famine on earth, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. 
For this reason, the specifically Christian sense of this fourth petition concerns the bread of life, the word of God accepted in faith, the body of Christ received in the Eucharist. This day is also an expression of trust taught us by the Lord, which we would never have presumed to invent. Since it refers above all to his word and to the body of his son, this today is not only that of our mortal time, but also the today of God. If you receive the bread each day, each day is today for you. If Christ is yours today, he rises for you every day. How can this be? You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Therefore, today is when Christ rises. That's from St. Ambrose. Daily occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. Taken in a temporal sense, this word is a pedagogical repetition of this day to confirm us in trust without reservation. Taken in the qualitative sense, it signifies what is necessary for life, and more broadly, every good thing sufficient for subsistence. Taken literally, it refers directly to the bread of life, the body of Christ, the medicine of immortality, without which we have no life within us. Finally, in this connection, its heavenly meaning is evident. This day is the day of the Lord, the day of the feast of the kingdom, anticipated in the Eucharist that is already the foretaste of the kingdom to come. For this reason, it is fitting for the Eucharistic liturgy to be celebrated each day. The Eucharist is our daily bread. The power belonging to this divine food makes it a bond of union. Its effect is Its effect is then understood as unity, so that gathered into his body and made members of him, we may become what we receive. This also is our daily bread. The readings you hear each day in church and the hymns you hear and sing. All these are necessities for our pilgrimage. And that's from St. Augustine. The Father in heaven urges us, as children of heaven, to ask for the bread of heaven. Christ himself is the bread who, sown in the virgin, raised up in the flesh, kneaded in the passion, baked in the oven of the tomb, reserved in churches, brought to altars, furnishes the faithful each day with food from heaven. And that comes from St. Peter Chrysologus. All right, that brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode. Uh, Please excuse my bell chime alarm partway through the reading. Uh, Recently, it's the, the prayer of the Angelus keeps coming to me. So through different family, friends, and a couple instances in life. And so um, uh, thinking that that's a prompting of the Holy Spirit, I've now set my alarm for 6 a.m., 12 noon, and 6 p.m. to pray the Angelus. So if you're not familiar with the Angelus, I encourage you to look it up. It's a, a traditional prayer of the church. It takes a couple minutes. Um, and so again, please excuse the, the alarm going off in the middle of the reading. So thanks for joining me for another week. Please pray for me. I'll pray for you between this week and next week's episode. And then in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.